yesterday my uh, little boy uh, went with his mommy, Gail, to a birthday party. And as little boys uh, do, probably little girls also, uh, after birthday parties, uh, in the middle of the night, they spit up. <laughs> I mean, you this is part of the whole birthday thing. <laughs> and as I told you before, uh, John sleeps uh, with Gail and me, sleeps right between us. And as you know, uh, a, a two or three year old is deadly accurate with vomit. <laughs> so, what happens is first they feel a little distress and they go, ah, and then they run to you for help. So, in the middle of the night, we were cleaning this all up. They, they evidently had lots to eat at the birthday party. And I was sitting there on a chair in the living room after we had put the sheets and everything in the, in the washer. And I got out, of course, in Miracles, and, and he came up to me and he said... Uh, he said, what are you doing, Daddy? And I said, well, I'm, I'm preparing the, I'm going to prepare the sermon for tomorrow. And he said, um, he didn't say what's it on, but that's what it meant. It was something like that. I knew that's what it meant. And I said, well, I don't know what it's going to be on. And then very forcefully he said, ask. <laughs> <laughs> You know, they, they blow their covers every once in a while, you know. <laughs> so I closed my eyes, and the answer was love, which, of course, would be very appropriate on Valentine's Day. But I didn't think that was what I was going to talk about. I thought I was going to talk about relationships. So this will be relationships and connection with love. But the important thing about love is, the most important thing, is the recognition that we simply cannot love other people until we have felt at least a little of the love that God has for us. Unless we have had that experience, we don't feel that there's anything to pass on. I want to ask you to do a, a little exercise that we've done once before here. Um, if you have something in your lap, maybe you'd like to set it down just for a moment. You don't have to, but you might like to. Now, one of the first things that we have to learn about love is it doesn't hurt. Because our ego tells us all the time it hurts. It's dangerous. We can't love. We'll open ourselves up to... Uh, Rejection, abandonment to someone's dishonesty. And it's all right, doesn't actually hurt to hold hands or to put your arms around someone or to kiss them. Even though everybody in Hollywood kisses everybody else, it still doesn't hurt. And so... Let me ask you to just very gently reach over and take the hand of the person next to you and just realize it doesn't hurt <laughs> to do that. Now, there are probably several people in here who don't want to do that. But notice that they are doing it. <laughs> you see how gentle they are? People are very, very gentle. So let me ask you to close your eyes, and I want to do an exercise we've done before here, just so we can experience a little bit more of this thing that we call love. I want you to remember one, two, three, ten, twenty, however many comes to your mind, things that you have done in the last day or so beginning with the day and going back, that were gentle, that were patient, 
a one moment in which you could have attacked, but you chose not to. You could have left uh, three pennies as a tip, but you chose not to. <laughs> you could have pointed out that someone was wrong, but you said, I don't think I'll do that. Any act of gentleness or kindness, do not let your ego tell you there are none. There have been many just in the last day or two. So I'll be quiet for just a moment and let yourself remember those times that you have been kind or gentle or shown restraint or been patient or been loving. <clears throat> And now with your eyes still closed, I want you to go back five years, ten years, fifteen, however you meant, however many years you need to go back and remember a time that will let you know how far you have come. You have come a very long way. Now go back to a time and see how far you've come. And thank yourself for that. And now with your eyes still closed, gently holding the hand of the person next to you, I want you to pretend for just a moment that you are God. You just might be God, you know. But I just want you to pretend that you're God. And you look down upon yourself now. And you see how far you've come. And you see these acts of gentleness and restraint. And you see why God is not mistaken in loving you. He's not a dummy. <laughs> So just take that standpoint for a moment. Drop all of your intellectual whatever it is that says, well, I, you know, this isn't philosophically correct or something. Just do it. You see why God loves you so much? You see why he's so encouraged with your progress? You see how joyous it makes him every time you are kind to yourself and gentle with yourself and then pass that gentleness along. Okay, you can open your eyes now. We're going to read the section from the text today. I don't know if that was... Was there a calligraphy of that that was passed down or not? There was? Okay, it's on the table. If you don't have it, you can get it later. There's, you don't have to follow along. I'm just going to read this one straight through. And so, if you'd like to, it's very short. If you'd like to, you can just close your eyes and listen to it. It's about love and about fear and about peace. And it's a little section in the early part of the text. It's called The Illusion of Needs. So if you want to just close your eyes and listen to it, that's fine. If you want to read along, that's fine also. You who want peace can find it only by complete forgiveness. No learning is acquired by anyone unless he wants to learn it and believes in some way that he needs it. While lack does not exist in the creation of God, it is very apparent in what you have made. It is, in fact, the essential difference between them. Lack implies that you would be better off in a state somehow different from the one you are in. Until the, quote, separation, which is the meaning of the, quote, fall, nothing was lacking. There were no needs at all. 
needs arise only when you deprive yourself. You act according to the particular order of needs you establish. This, in turn, depends on your perception of what you are. A sense of separation from God is the only lack you really need correct. This sense of separation would never have arisen if you had not distorted your perception of the truth and had thus perceived yourself as lacking. The idea of order of needs arose because, having made this fundamental error, you had already fragmented yourself into levels with different needs. As you integrate, you become one, and your needs become one, one accordingly. Unified needs lead to unified action because this produces a lack of conflict. The idea of order of needs, which follows from the original error that one can be separated from God, requires correction at its own level before the error of perceiving levels at all can be corrected. You cannot behave effectively while you function on different levels. However, while you do, correction must be introduced vertically, from the bottom up. This is because you think you live in space, where concepts such as up and down are meaningful. Ultimately, space is as meaningless as time. Both are merely beliefs. The real purpose of this world is to use it to correct your unbelief. You can never control the effects of fear yourself, because you made fear, and you believe in what you made. In attitude, then, though not in content, you resemble your Creator, who has perfect faith in His creations because He created them. Belief produces the acceptance of existence. That is why you can believe what no one else thinks is true. It is true for you because it was made by you. All aspects of fear are untrue because they do not exist at the creative level and therefore do not exist at all. To whatever extent you are willing to submit your beliefs to this test, to that extent are your perceptions corrected. In sorting out the false from the true, the miracle proceeds along these lines. Here are the lines that it proceeds along. Perfect love casts out fear. If fear exists, then there is not perfect love. But, only perfect love exists. If there is fear, it produces a state that does not exist. Believe this, and you will be free. Only God can establish this solution, and this faith is his gift. So that section makes it clear that fear has nothing to do with love. So there are in, these, in this world two kinds of love. And we must see that there are two kinds or we will not experience real love. We will just sort of go back and forth, back and forth and not understand why there's all this confusion in our lives. Doing something out of guilt for another person has nothing to do with love. If we think we owe something someone or we need to make up for something, <coughs> we are always surprised that the person doesn't receive this with joy. And of course, the, the reason is very obvious. No one likes someone else who is afraid of it. We don't even like a dog that cowers. If we see a dog cower, we 
we feel like we want to kick it or get rid of it, take it to the pound or something like that. Why? It didn't hurt us. It didn't hurt us at all for it to cower. Why do we have that reaction? Because fear makes a statement about us. The dog says to us by his cowering, you are not trustworthy. I can't, I don't know what you're going to do. You may attack me. And this is, of course, how our child, or our spouse, or our friends feel when we do anything out of fear. They feel attacked. So whenever you feel anxiety before you speak, before you act, please know that you cannot act kindly. And it would be far better that you concern yourself with simple contentment and peace than attempt to act on the basis of love or guilt. No matter how kind you think that is, or no matter how much you think the situation calls out for your redress. We cannot believe that fear has anything to do with God if we think that fear has any part of love. If we think that fear has something to do with love, we will fear God. That's inevitable. If we operate in a certain way to correct what we think are the problems in our life, if we, if we attack our children in order to make them behave, to be quiet, to have good manners, we can't escape thinking that's the way God operates because we think it's the effective way to do it or else we wouldn't be doing it that way. And so we must believe that God slaps our hands or if you prefer the word universe to the word God, that the universe spanks us along the path to happiness. <laughs> it swats us every time, you know, we, we pause in the road. Now, this can be a very scary step within a marriage or within a relationship with a child. This business of not acting out of fear. Because our egos think that fear and guilt are the glue that keep a relationship together. And so if you very gently refuse to be intimidated, this can cause tremendous but temporary turmoil within a relationship. Now, I'd like to ask you to try a little experiment here. Because as long as you're scared of the person you're living with, or of your child, or of your parents, or of your in-laws, you cannot love them. You're not going to love them, except very briefly, and only occasionally. So, let me ask you to do something. And you can carry this on during the week you'll find other applications. We'll just do one application right now. Please close your eyes and pick someone who is central in your life. Your child, your parent, boyfriend, a girlfriend, employer, who is someone that's key. Whoever comes to your mind is just fine for the purposes of this experiment. Now be very honest. Look at that relationship and identify in one of your horror stories. One of the things in your mind that just seems unthinkable. Maybe it's that a, that a pack of wild dogs attacks your child and tears them to bits. Maybe it's that, uh, that your, your, your spouse leaves you for another person or just has affairs and seems to humiliate you. Maybe it's that your in-laws turn against you. Maybe it's that this person dies and leaves you all alone. Now just identify some 
heart. Now, it doesn't matter how strongly you feel that at this moment. You may say, well, I don't feel this very much. But if you feel it at all, just, just take it right now as, as part of this experience. Whatever that it may be. It doesn't have to be what I suggested. That you get so fat that this person just pukes every time they see you. <laughs> okay. All right, now, take this, take this little, this little piece of hell, this fear, this thing that just cannot happen by God. It can't happen. And now you're going to let it happen in your mind. So let that fear tell you its insane tale. Now just let it tell, tell it to you. So see this thing happening. And see it to excess. He brings the woman home. They do it right there in the living room floor, right there in front of you, the ch- in front of the children and the dogs and the parakeet and everything. <laughs> so just just run through that now. And if you finish that one, take another one. Now at each point that this tale becomes unspeakably horrible. Say to yourself, yes, this has happened now, but God is still with me. And his promises are inviolate. God is still with me. My child is dead now, but God is still with me. My husband has left me. My wife is hooking on the plaza. (laughs) But God is still with me. Okay, you can open your eyes now. Every time that you get scared around your child or your spouse or your anyone else who's central in your life if you can do so right on the spot go into the bathroom or someplace and just let that fear tell you it's insane tale you must listen to the tale or else you're going to fear it you're not looking at it that's why it has so much horror is because it's not being looked at when you turn around and look at it even in fantasy it will begin to lose its power the grip will listen, will loosen on your heart. And this will allow you to love without restraint. Because as long as we fear anything, we cannot love with abandon. It just can't be done. We've got to say, I will love even though whatever thing happens, happens. Let's talk just a minute about special relationships and how they form. Because this is the this is the love that isn't love. And some of this we've talked about before, so I'll go over some things that we've talked about before and then add a few things to it. It's very important that we see what is not love so that we can gently walk around it, not get stuck in it. So, so the way a special relationship forms is that we, 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 we discover this person that we think is very special, more special than other people. Everyone is special, but we think this person is more special. And in order to think that, we have to make everyone else less special. This is, this is absolutely essential to see. Ego love operates on comparison. So ego love always means... That unless you love others less, you do not love me. And if you'll listen in on conversations that take place uh, in families, this is when the word loyalty and duty and common courtesy and common decency is evoked. 
it's because it appears that someone else may have received as much love as the person who's complaining has received. You see, maybe the, maybe the child uh, went over and jumped in this strange man's lap there in the living room and just sat there, you know, and, and played with this, this man, and Daddy got real jealous about that. And really disliked his child because he thought that this was an act of disloyalty. If he thinks that the child is capable of comprehending this thing called loyalty, family loyalty, or whatever it is, um, then he will try to teach the lesson. Otherwise, he'll just the child's too young, which means <clears throat> that they are too sane still. <laughs> they won't try to teach that lesson. So we find this person, and we build this little fence around this person. And we say, I will practice forgiveness within this fence. And so, when people fall in love, they spend a lot of time complaining bitterly about what's going on outside the fence. And they'll walk arm in arm down the sidewalk. They used to go into Zooks. Can't do that anymore. <laughs> and they would look over at the booth, and there's this couple in their 50s sitting there. And they're not talking to each other. They're so obviously married. <laughs> and they say, well, this will never happen to us. And this little attack, this focusing of attack, appears not to happen within this circle whatsoever. But it does happen. And it appears to be the very glue that holds these two people together. That they're so different from other couples and other people. And their lives are going to be so different. They're not going to live their lives the way other people have lived them. And they walk around in a state of arrogance, really. And view all the poor slobs that walk this earth. <laughs> now what happens is that this little wall that has been built develops a teeny crack very teeny crack and so here, here our beloved we find somehow in her perfect upbringing she did not learn you're, you're not supposed to burp <laughs> or you are most certainly supposed to shave your legs and you don't understand how this escaped her teaching that made her into this perfect wonderful thing but there it is she doesn't shave her legs so you forgive her within this wall you forgive her you, you, you say well I'm, you know she's still just wonderful and she's 3,000 times better than anyone else who walks here. So, that's all right. Then, a, then another little crack. Um, he flirts. You go out to dinner, and he's always looking around and holding his gaze. And, you know, and this is a little game he plays at dinner. So, no, well, he's perfect otherwise, so we'll push that out of the way, you see. And then another crack, and then another crack, and then another crack. So what happens in almost every single, quote, love relationship of this kind is that pretty soon there's so many cracks in this wall where all the attack has been shoved outside, disowned, that it starts coming in like a flood. And you wake up one morning and you look over at this thing you married. <laughs> And they appear like a complete stranger to you. Literally, they look like a stranger. Did I, did I do that? <laughs> now, the ego has a very simple solution. Dump this person. <laughs> and so, we go from one relationship to another uh, we have one spouse after another, or one lover after another, or one friend, one best friend after another. 
or one city after another. City so awful. Got to move to another city. It goes on and on and on. Now God comes along with an entirely different approach. He says, Believe it or not, it is possible to love more than one person. And we say, no, it isn't. (laughs) You see, to the ego, if we love someone else, then love, of course, is this very limited quantity. And therefore, if we love someone else, that means that we take love away from our child. So, uh, there was this wonderful article in the Journal of the American Medical Association in which it talked about... uh, how the uh, uh, the present child feels when uh, mommy and daddy bring home uh, baby sister, whoever it may be. Uh, and the man that was writing the article says said, "Well, it's like this. It would be like let's say that you're a woman, and uh, and one day your husband said, you know, I think you need a playmate." <laughs> 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 you know, it would really be nice if you had, if you had some. <laughs> be so great if you had someone around the house that you could talk to. You know, <laughs> you could talk, girl talk, go shopping together, and everything. <laughs> and. Uh, Hubby has got someone picked out. (laughs) I just know you're going to get along super. (laughs) So, Hubby goes off and brings in this wonderful companion and doesn't understand why his wife just has a screaming fit about that person. Well, the reason is that the ego sees this as an absolute loss, cannot function that way. And of course, in this case, the man is making exactly the same mistake and believing that he's got to corral this other body and bring it into the house, you see. So that also is based on exclusion. He didn't just bring anybody else into his life, he brought another special person. So this isn't love. So both people are making exactly the same mistake. Now God comes along and says, take just a little step at a time. Don't scare yourself. But please begin to practice loving everything. And these early lessons in the workbook are so good because it it sort of takes away all the scales that we've placed on all the things and all the people around us so that we can't love them. God says, just begin loving everything as best you can. Whatever you're, if you're writing with a pencil, love that pencil. Notice, notice how it's constructed here. It's got little flat edges, you know, so it doesn't turn on your finger. And I don't know if you all remember when, uh, remember the story about how lead was discovered and suddenly there were pencils it's a wonderful thing to have pencils. They always, you know, before that, people had to use the feathers and dip them in ink and all that. Here was a pencil and an eraser on the end of it. You see, wonderful thing. Whatever your whatever your eyes light on, let you just allow yourself to love it with a complete abandon. Be a crazy person, <laughs> absolutely crazy. I told you about the time that I was in uh, Honolulu and I was driving through the streets and suddenly noticed these magnificent things called high-rises or apartment buildings or uh, these great big huge lighted things just all over the place. I had never seen buildings that way. I thought buildings were awful. And suddenly, I don't know what happened, but somehow it was just one of those little clicks, and I saw the buildings like a little child. You know, you can you can sit on a corner of a street, 
with a uh, two, three, four-year-old, something like that, and and along comes a truck, and you look at the truck and you say, "Big truck," <laughs> because you're sitting there next to him, you see, and he's like, oh, "Big truck," <laughs> and it's just wonderful. This and it is just magnificent. These these semis, you know, there's nothing that can't delight us, and there's no one that can't delight us. But in order to experience this kind of love, you first of all have to experience a little bit of the fact that we are loved, that we are lovable. And this is why meditation and prayer is so important. It's why it's so essential that we take as many breaks during the day that we can to just sit quietly and feel loved. If you haven't felt that recently, Please give yourself that gift. You will not be able to love others until you experience that, at least to some degree. You have to know that you're lovable. You've got to feel how much God surrounds you and watches over you. And if you remember, I don't know how, I didn't listen to the tape of last week's service, but Many of you know this, and some of you, all of you will eventually, if you don't know now, that God not only can, but eventually does come to everyone in the most amazingly personal ways. Carol Bell Knight has, has done such a splendid job of, of uh, teaching this other thing that we're not perceiving that's going on. Remember talking about an angel following uh, Mr. Kahn around in his shoe shop, you know. Mr. Kahn kept looking back, you know, I didn't, didn't see anything, but it felt something. Well, this seems like complete insanity, you know. If you want to get locked up fast, you just start talking about these experiences. You know. <laughs> but what will eventually happen, if it hasn't already, is because there's a place in the Course, it's in the manual, it's in the early part of the manual where it talks about the, the uh, stages of trust, and it talks about the different stages, and you finally get to one stage, and it says, from this point on, you will not go forth alone. Now that means quite literally. You will quite literally feel your guardian angel, or whoever it may be, with you. First of all, you may just feel the presence of something with you, but in a most specific and splendorous way. Is it necessary to talk about It'll happen. It'll just sort of come in and out of your life so it doesn't scare you. Then you'll begin to see this. Now, I don't know exactly how all that operates, but there is no question that it does. Don't have to worry about whether or not you've had that experience. It doesn't matter. If we get fixated on that experience, then we really get delayed. Because now we're not, we're just looking, this is just simply one of the ways that God loves us. All psychic phenomena are simply the way God loves us. So, for example, auras. Auras can be used to judge people. You know, we can talk about so-and-so having a bad aura and better go run off and get it balanced and, you know, all this stuff. And we can judge, compare people that way. But there's a wonderful painting in that gallery across from uh, the Magic Stairway Church. There's a, what's that? Southeast? Santa Fe East. Santa Fe East. Uh, go in the front door. It's all right to do this, incidentally. It's okay to do what I'm telling you to do. You don't have to buy the groceries or whatever else it is here in town. You remember this, and you say, I think I'll go in that gallery. And your ego says, oh, no, you haven't got time. Da, 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 da. All right, so you just do it anyway, see? This is the way you become a mad person. Now, you walk in the, you walk in the front door of the gallery, and you turn right, and you go around the corner there. So you go in the gallery, turn right, and go around this little corner there, and you'll see a painting on the wall of trees. And the trees have auras around them. Now, just think how much fun it would be to see this. It's a form of play, you see. It doesn't matter. Just think how much, it would, how much fun it would be to every once in a while know something that's going to happen in the future. If this hasn't happened to you already, it will happen. 
think how much fun. Uh, I remember uh, Carol one day was, uh, there, were, there were a bunch of, well, I don't know if she's told you this. She's going to really be after me if she hasn't told you this. <laughs> <laughs> Carol was giving a sermon one day, I think a couple years ago. I was just standing there in the women's club. And suddenly, all these fourth dimensional people came walking into the church and set up a balcony. Now that room doesn't have a balcony. They set up the balcony and they all sat there to listen to her. And she was so stunned she couldn't speak. She just stood there looking at them. And finally one of them had to get down, walk up the aisle and put his hand on her. And then she realized it's okay. It doesn't make any difference. Now, you don't have to seek these experiences, but you don't have to be afraid when one of these little things begin to happen. You, you will feel God's presence very strongly at a given moment. You don't have to be afraid of that. Instead, when that happens, just go into it. Just relax. If you feel so peaceful that you don't want to make the bed or, or flush the toilet or anything else that you want to do, if you feel so peaceful that you just want to sit there, sit there. It's okay. That's all we're learning. Jesus said this over and over again. You can imagine what a maniac the people must have thought he was. Be like the lilies. <laughs> the lilies don't work for a living, Jesus said. But he said that over and over. We don't believe that. We think if we don't provide for ourselves, we will not be provided for. He had this delightful work like a squirrel works. <laughs> you ever watched a squirrel work? This is the way we work. Squirrels just jump from limb to limb and they gather their acorns and it's just a ball. You know? They don't divide this, they don't divide the day up into eight hours of gathering acorns. You know? And then they say, now this evening we'll turn on the TV set up in the top of the tree and we'll all gather around there until we're so bored we can go to sleep. And they'll do that. You'll watch squirrels, they have such a ball gathering the acorns. They gather enough. You see? You never see one squirrel going over and get, tapping another squirrel on the shoulder and say, come over here and look at what a big stock of acorns I've got. You don't see that. They don't care about that. Okay, let's do the lesson at this point. This lesson points out three steps. Very, understand, very important that we understand the order in which these usually come to most people. First you practice, then you love, then you understand. So it's just the opposite in the way that ego thinks. Ego thinks that you first have got to understand everything. You can't understand anything. All these early lessons say there's no way for you to understand. You don't understand anything. You don't know anything that you look at. You don't know any thought and so forth. And people just get outraged about this, you know. You've got to start there. Then you begin practicing. Now, this, this requires a leap in faith or something. You've got to just say, I'm going to do it anyway. Even though it's so carny and so stupid. And, and what's this crazy thing called? A course in miracles. You know, you're not going to see anybody see that. A course in miracles. That is really crazy. You see, so you hide that, but you still do the lesson. You still do the practice. <laughs> And then after you practice, as you practice this stillness, this letting go of all the meanings we have stuck to everything, then you will love, you will feel loved, and you will love. And then you will understand. That's the process. It's a little step. A little practice leads to a little love, leads to a little understanding. And the next step, a little more practice, leads to a little more love, and a little more understanding. After a while, you realize the road is never going to start dipping down. The landscape is always going to get brighter. For every single person in this room and everywhere else, the landscape will always get brighter. 
there will be these little transitional periods in which you will feel a loss of equilibrium, some distress and so forth. But it's just a shifting of the gears. It's just that little grinding of the gears. The vehicle hasn't really stopped. It's just shifting gears. Know that the next time you experience terror or whatever. That's all this is. You're just being shown some aspect of the ego that you're now ready to let go of. I see nothing as it is now. This idea obviously follows from the two preceding ones. But while you may be able to accept it intellectually, it is unlikely that it will mean anything to you as yet. You see, you see that? It's saying, I know, uh, he's saying here, I know you're not going to uh, understand this, but do it anyway, you see. However, understanding is not necessary at this point. In fact, the recognition that you do not understand is a prerequisite for undoing your false ideas. That's just a, that's a great thing to do. Walk through the day and just say, I don't understand anything. Look at everything and just say, I don't understand it. You see, That's what little children do. They really don't understand all these insane things that we call good manners and that you're supposed to say thank you every time something does and, then, and you're welcome. They don't understand that. But what does that have to do with spontaneous, free-flowing love? Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Are you sure you love me? Yes, I, I really love you. And what does that have to do with love? These questions we ask people like that. In what sense? How is that going to like, let, let, let their, their heart open like a floodgate and all this joy and tenderness release? Do you love me? That, that, that doesn't evoke love. In fact, try turning everything upside down. Try turning... Uh, just, you're just going to release yourself from this world. That's all this is. And one way to do it is to just do everything backwards. Because that's what the world is. When you do everything backwards, you will ascend. There's <laughs> just a few things you haven't done backwards yet that's, that's keeping you in hell. <laughs> ascend just means that you lay aside this cage that you think of as your body. And now you can bless anyone, anywhere. You say, you don't think that you can only pray for one person at a time or be in only one place at a time. That's all translation or sending or whatever all the terms means. So turn it all upside down. Notice which way you put your shoes on in the morning. Put them on the opposite way. <laughs> Get up one morning and have dinner at the breakfast time. Why do we have to have toast and orange juice and so forth? Haven't you heard that orange juice is no longer just for breakfast? <laughs> if you pick up your glass with your right hand, pick it up with your left hand. It's all right. If you're not a hugger, and one moment you feel like going over and hug someone, go over and hug them. They may be surprised. It doesn't matter. They felt it. They may even freeze a little bit. But if it came from your heart and not from fear or guilt, I promise you it touched them. Be absolutely spontaneous. That's what giving up this world means. All these chains, all these ways that we're supposed to do things, all that does is prevent us from loving. It doesn't matter if you haven't uh, brought your spouse flowers for 15 years. Go ahead and buy some flowers. It won't set a precedent. <laughs> That's what we think. You're always looking at it. Well, how is this going to affect the future? Nah, 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 nah. Forget the future. Just do what your heart, what makes your heart sing this instant. But in order to do that, you've got to put, a, put aside all this junk about reciprocity and uh, honor and manners and decency and uh, loyalty and all this crap. That's all it is. It's just absolute junk. Just become as a little child. Doesn't know anything about that. Goes up and hugs a complete stranger. Sees a hunchback and thinks this is the most wonderful thing he's ever seen. Doesn't step back in horror from that. You do not need to practice what you already understand. It would indeed be circular to aim at understanding and assume that you already have it. 
It is difficult for the untrained mind to believe that what it seems to picture is not there. This idea can be quite disturbing and may meet with active resistance in any number of forms. Yet that, that, that does not preclude applying it. No more than that is required for these or any other exercises. Each small step will clear a little of the darkness away. And understanding will finally come to lighten every corner of the mind that has been cleared of the debris that darkens it. These exercises, for which three or four practice periods are sufficient, involve looking about you and applying the idea for the day to whatever you see, remembering the need for its indiscriminate application. So you don't pick out one thing to apply it to more than others. And the essential rule of excluding nothing. I do not see this typewriter as it is now. I do not see this telephone as it is now. I do not see this arm as it is now. We're seeing everything through the lens of the past. It is really startling when this begins to dawn on us. How we are actually seeing the past when we look at another person. We're not even seeing them as they are today. Begin with things that are nearest you, then extend the range outward. So you begin all of this with the people who are closest to you. Then you extend it outward. I do not see that coat rack as it is now. I do not see that door as it is now. I do not see that face as it is now. It is emphasized again that while complete inclusion should not be attempted, specific exclusion must be avoided. Be sure you are honest with yourself in making this distinction. You may be tempted to obscure it.